Chapter number six tonight. Let me just say thank you to your church and um, we, my family and I, appreciate your faithfulness over the years and um, all the wonderful things that God has enabled us to be a part of here, whether it's different revivals or youth meetings or training times. And um, it's a blessing to see the church just being faithful and going on and on. Amen. And um, thank you for your support in our missions work. And um, we'll be back to Africa the second week, of, almost the third week of November. We'll fly back out, um, just Lydia and I, and we'll go into uh, Zimbabwe. And uh, Lord willing, we'll get to cross over to Mozambique and do some pastor training over there. Um, we already have December and January packed out with vacation Bible schools. I think on the last count that there's about uh, 16 different places that want vacation Bible school, as well as two camps. Obviously, I'm not going to do all that, but uh, my son-in-law, Anthony, will help with some of it, so that's a blessing. Him and Abigail will do several of those. Um, A couple of other young men, Victor Tashinga, that have been trained up in Zimbabwe, they'll help with a couple of them. Um, A young man named Donkey and Michael out in the village areas, they'll help with those. Um, I just want to help them coordinate it all, amen. And, but they've already been doing them, and it's a wonderful work that God is multiplying over there. And so pray much for that. I'm going to be a very busy time. We have um, at least two church plants that we want to get off the ground, one in a place called Chibue. Um, the young man there, uh, Brother Bongai and his wife, they've moved back to their home place. Um, he's been up in the Bible Institute. He's moved back there in Zimbabwe, and he's building a house right now. He's been out soul winning, and we plan to do a big... Um, tent meeting and a gospel preaching thing when we get there sometime maybe in January um, to help launch that new church. And then um, just uh, two days ago, um, the pastor over there named Titus, who is kind of overseeing most of the ministries now in Zimbabwe at a Solid Rock Baptist Church there, just sent me a new location that we are, we're aware of. And um, they decided to stop in there the other day when they were passing by, met several people. And the people said, well, how come you don't come here and preach? And uh, we need a church, too. And so we've put that on the list. I'm not sure where it'll sit, but we'll do something. Amen. And um, so just a lot of great opportunities. Continue to pray for the works in India. Um, Don't always say a whole lot about them, but they're just being faithful. Um, God is doing some great things. Um, They're still planting churches. They're still going forward. Um, It's not a very friendly place for the gospel anymore, but um, they, they don't quit. And the, the area, the region that many of these men are in is not quite as bad as if you were up in the northern part of India where it's definitely a lot more volatile and a lot more heavy persecution on the believers. And so, but do pray for those pastors in India. I don't usually mention who they are so much, but um, just pray specifically for them. Their needs are great um, because in India, when you, get, when you get baptized after you get saved, it changes your life. Um, your family will oust you. Your employers will oust you. The community may kick you out. And life becomes very difficult for a a true Christian. And so um, the churches are made up of a lot of poorer people that are just trying to exist. Um, But they do amazing things for the Lord. And so just pray for them. A lot of great things going on there. And then um, we're working with another church up in Canada, a very good friend of mine. And um, last year we were up there um, in the middle of the summer and we did a meeting called John 3.16. Um, you could look up their website. There's lots of John 3.16 websites, but this specific one is the john316story.org or .com. But you'll know you found it because it's part of Metro Baptist Church. And they've, they've animated many people's testimonies from different languages, different back groups, from Islam, um, from the charismatic groups, and they've made wonderful gospel presentations. So in these immigrant areas, we've been handing out a lot of... Um, gospel cards with a QR code that takes people to that website. 
And when we were up there in, in, in June, the following week, they had a man that spoke Farsi. And he was going to be having a Farsi revival among the Iranian people that are immigrants up there. And um, they had like 12 people get saved. They had a tremendous turnout. Um, and the other church up there that we, we work with, um, they started a Bible study on Sunday afternoons. And they've been having 15 to 30 different Iranian families coming to that Bible study. And they're using the Farsi language and giving them the gospel. Many have gotten saved. And so um, it's a great thing to see what God is doing. And sometimes... Um, we don't always hear about what God is doing in other places, but it's always a joy to know that. And so we, we appreciate your prayers, your finances um, that help us to go to many of those places because those are not places that can sustain, you know, visitors and things like that. And so your, your support goes to that in a great way. And we're always grateful for that. And so Ephesians chapter number six tonight, I want to kind of give you a last and final challenge um, out of the book of Ephesians. And then we're going to go off into the book of Revelation about this church at Ephesus. And if you remember, we've mentioned how that this is a good church that um, was an evangelistic church. Asia got the gospel because of it and had many, many good attributes. We'll read some of the good things about this church in a little bit. But Paul is giving them some admonition. He's been there twice. He has sent Timothy there. Um, he's getting ready to send another um, one of his servant, fellow servants along, Tychicus, Back to Ephesus, he wrote this letter, the book of Ephesians, to them. And this is kind of his last charge. And so pick up the reading, if you would, in verse number 10. And Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And boy, that is um, a truth that we need today. We need to be strong. Amen? We, we cannot do this in our strength. We can only do it in the power of his might. If you remember... Um, on Monday night when we talked about that prayer that we'd be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. And we need that power of his might. Verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. And once again, notice this, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Paul knew there was a battle. We need to be strong. We need to have his power. We need to be able to stand. The verse we read the other night, verse 12, we read again, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And you have to understand that we face a spiritual battle. Satan is never happy when you try to do things for God. And he wants to stop it. Verse 13, Paul says, Wherefore, because of that spiritual battle, take unto you the whole armor of God. Did you see that back in verse 11? The whole armor of God. Verse 13, the whole armor of God. Why? That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And then he says, and having done all, to stand. Do you see an emphasis that Paul is giving here? Um, there is a necessity of being steadfast. A necessity of standing and withstanding and being there and being there. Um, I think as Josh was saying a few moments ago about faithfulness. But then finally in verse 14 he says... Once again, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And you want to be a church, a people of God that will stand and withstand. Now sometimes we, we all hear the stories. I mean, you hear of a pastor, a church, a Christian that fell, got into sin, Messed up their life. You know, I'm so grateful tonight 
that they can repent and be restored. And I'll tell you something tonight. The greatest danger is not just that falling. Now, that's a bad thing. And my, my heart grieves when I hear somebody that falls. But the Bible says a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. And although sin is terrible and although sin is wicked and we don't ever want it in our life, sin is not the end. Unless you fail to repent. Sometimes that sin or that failure is the best thing that can happen to a person. Because long before they fell, they were just doing the sin. And they just finally got caught. It's a terrible thing when you just live in sin and live in sin and live in sin and never get caught. It just eats away at you, you know. And sometimes getting caught is one of the best things. Those of you that have children, you understand what I'm talking about. You kind of like it when you catch your kids doing something wrong before they do something worse. You, you understand what I'm saying? You're like, wow, I'm glad I caught them stealing that candy bar, you know, before they were stealing something bigger and making bigger mistakes in their life. I'm not saying what they did was right, but getting caught, proper restoration, proper repentance can give great victory. And there's something that takes place in the church that is far worse than that open falling into sin. And that's what I believe Paul was greatly concerned about. Because sometimes everything looks good, but it's not good. And Paul was very concerned about the church at Ephesus. And we'll take our Bibles tonight, and if you understand the scriptures and you've been around church a while, I'm sure you know what we're talking about in the book of Revelation, chapter number two. This is the last place that we find this church mentioned. By the way, if you were to go to Ephesus today, you would not find the church that Paul started. It's long past. It's gone. It's ceased. Revelation chapter number two, God is speaking to John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos, and he has a message to some churches. And these churches are seven named churches. And I realize there's a lot of application that people might make about these churches in relation to history. But these are seven real churches. And God had a message for them. And tonight as we read this and we learn from the church at Ephesus, I want to remind you that in all of these churches, God makes a statement. He says, I know thy works. And the truth is tonight, people can write lots of things about Mountain View Baptist Church. People can get on, you know, the, the, the internet sites and praise your church and say, what a wonderful church, what a blessed church, and get good reviews and five stars and all those wonderful things nothing wrong with that. You can also get the other side, amen? <laughs> you can get where people say lots of bad things about your church. And, and to honestly with you tonight, I wish we didn't care about that as much as we cared about what God says. Um, we get so worked up over what people say. Um, I've just kind of made a personal decision in my own life. Personally, I don't care what people say out there because it it doesn't change anything. If they want to talk bad about me, that's fine. If they want to talk good about me, that's fine. I'd rather not hear either side of it. I don't, 
need to get on there and search and try to figure out the reviews that Bill Smith gets. Now, if you do for your life, that's fine. That's your personal thing. Go for it, amen? But I'm not. I just don't ever care. Because I'm going to tell you what really matters is what God knows. And, and, and if God was going to write an epistle, my question tonight is what would God say about Mountain View Baptist Church? And we all realize someday the Bible says that every one of us shall stand before God and we'll give an account of our life. There's this thing called the judgment seat of Christ. And it is a judgment of rewards. It's not a judgment of shame. I'm thankful that God's not going to shame us as believers. We'll stand before God and he will give us our rewards. He'll show us what we lost out on because of our, our life perhaps. But, but there is an accounting to God someday. And God's not going to lie or, you know, he's going to say we're something we're not. And God left these seven churches and he wrote about them. And we're just going to look at the one tonight, the church at Ephesus. So verse number one of Revelation chapter number two, it says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now verse two is what I've already mentioned. He says, I know thy works. God knows Look at some of the things that God commends this church for. And I think it's important to take a moment and look at the good things God said about this church. He said, I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. Those are good things, aren't they? I mean, it's, it's good when God looks at a church and says they're working, amen? It's good when God looks at that church and he says they're laboring. I like even he says that word patience. That's the right type of labor. That's the right type of work, all right? Um, sometimes our work and our labor, um, you know if you've ever planted a garden, you have to have patience, don't you? It takes time for that seed to grow up. You know, if you, if you grow things from seeds, it's way different than growing it from a plant, amen? <laughs> Somebody had to get that plant to a place, right? And it's a whole lot more work to get a seed to a plant than it is a plant to a, you know, something else. There are trees that take 15 years to produce fruit. Well, if you want one of those trees to produce fruit, you've got to have a lot of what? A lot of patience, don't you? It takes a lot of time. And so I, what God is just saying here about the church at Ephesus, he saw their works. He saw their labor. He saw their patience. It was a, a church that was doing right type of things. And then the second thing he says in verse number two, he says, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Well, that's, that's a good thing about a church, Amen. That word evil there, it's talking about that continuing sin, talking about someone, it's not talking about someone that's struggling and trying to do right, it's talking about someone that's living wickedly and they don't care. And about the church at Ephesus, he said, you don't even bear those people. You don't tolerate it. If, if somebody comes into your church and they're bent on evil, you deal with it. Amen. Amen. These are good things. These are things that ought to be in a church that you hope that God would look down and he'd say, they're doing a good thing. He even says, it continued in verse number two, that thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. But aren't we supposed to do that today? There are lots of false teachers today. Many, many, many. If you, if you, if you get on the internet and start listening, you, you better be checking things with the Bible, amen? There are many, many false teachers. If you get books and read books, you better be careful. Many books are written, and they are false teachers. Here is where everything must be tested is by the scriptures. And not by the obscure passages that are hard to understand. You can always make an obscure passage say anything you want to make it say. 
But you've got to take the clear teaching of the word of God and test people and say, that doesn't line up with the clear teaching of the word of God. And this is what the church at Ephesus did. They were, they were trying them and those false apostles, they found them and called them what they were liars. Verse three, they say, and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored. And notice this, and hast not fainted. That's wonderful. This church was doing everything. I mean, they, they would have, if they were alive today, they'd have an anchor program, amen? If they were alive today, they'd have a scripture collating printing ministry. If they were alive today, they'd be supporting missionaries. If this church was in existence today, man, they'd be standing strong and saying, this is what the Bible says. And I'm just saying, this was a good church. It's the type of church that if you were visiting, you'd say, wow, I want to be there. God listed all these good things about this church. We're going to jump a little bit because he comes to the negative, but we'll come back to it. Let's jump ahead to verse 6 because he's continuing the good things. He says, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, that little, that little phrase right there, Nicolaitans, I love when I get around preachers, you know, and preachers, we all have opinions. And um, it's fun to just kind of let everybody think what they think those Nicolaitans are, all right? Now, the thing is, God doesn't tell us. You only find it mentioned here, and we'll read it one other place, if you will. Um, just, just look over at the church here in Smyrna, all right? And um, I've got to get it because I didn't write it down, but I know it's mentioned there. I'll find it real quick, all right? Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Because I wasn't going to mention it, but I thought I will now, since I did. Verse, verse 8, verse 15, there we are. And so verse 15, he's talking to the church at Pergamos. And he says, thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So it's very interesting, the church at Ephesus, they hated it like God hated it. The church over at Pergamos, it was in the church there. Now, once again, there's nowhere in the scriptures where you'll ever find these Nicolaitans mentioned, all right? But I will tell you something you do find in the scriptures. Do you know you find things that God says he hates? You'll find those in the Bible. And so whatever those Nicolaitans were doing or saying, I'll guarantee you it had to be in the categories of the things that God hates. And we're not going to look at it tonight, but go back and see what the book of Proverbs says when it says, these six things that the Lord hate ye, seven are an abomination. There are other things you can read in the Bible. Maybe sometime go through the Bible and say, what is everything God hates? Well, he hated the Nicolaitans, what they were doing. So they must have been somewhere in that category, all right? And um, there's lots of things that people will say about it. But here's my whole point. The church at Ephesus, hated what God hated. This was a good church. This church, I'm telling you, if this church was sitting in the United States of America today, it's probably the church that everybody would write about. It's probably the church that everybody would say, look at that church, look at that church, look at that church. He didn't say that they had these things. Like as in past tense. He was talking about they were doing these things. But there's a problem. 
It's verse number four. And in verse number four, the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Could you imagine that? Uh, just think about that for a second. We've all had conflicts with friends and people that we respect and people that we love. And they've come up to us and they said, can I talk to you? I have a problem with you. Don't you love those conversations? You just go, ah. Could you imagine God saying, here's all your good things, but I have a problem with you. I have somewhat against thee. And here's the tragedy as God begins to tell them what the problem is. The end of verse number four, he says, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, this is an often misquoted verse because many times people will, in their, in their speaking, they will say they lost their love. But it doesn't say they lost their love. It says they what? left their love. Now, there's a difference between losing something and leaving something. Correct? Did you ever lose your remote control? You say, well, I can't find my my remote control. I lost it. So I'm absolutely certain what you did is you put it someplace on purpose so you couldn't find it, right? No. You just don't know what happened to it. But there's a difference when you've left something, when you've made a choice and say, I don't want that anymore. I'm leaving that behind. And God said about the church at Ephesus, he said, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now, once again, hear me tonight. This church was functioning. This church opened their doors up and had church. This church, if they were today, had the choir. This church had the music. This church had special songs. This church had, you know, evangelism programs. This church had, you know, ministries. This church stood for what was right. This church had everything that made it look like a very good church. But there was a problem. They'd left their love. They'd become what I'm calling tonight a a mechanical church. Are you hearing me? Mechanical. Just going through the motions, just going through the motions. This is why marriages fall apart, because they just go through the motions. They go through the motions, they go through the motions, but they've left their first love. And they stay married because of the kids. They stay married because, you know, they're friends. They stay married because of the benefits, whatever. And outwardly, it all looks good. But when you go behind the doors of the house, it's not so good. Happens to churches. Outwardly, it all looks good. People come, they carry their Bible, they have prayer meetings, they go through the motions, they go through the rituals, and God in heaven looks down and he says, wow, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. But do you want to hear God honestly say, all that's good, but I have a problem? And it's a big problem. You've left your first love. Now, what is that first love? Because don't you think tonight that that would be very important to understand what that is? What is that first love? I don't think it's very complex. Could, Could you hold your hand in Revelation? We'll come right back to it. But Matthew chapter number 22. Matthew 
And we could read it in the Old Testament. We could read it in multiple places in the New Testament. But I've just chosen one tonight for us to ponder, to get the thought. Matthew chapter number 22, there was a lawyer that came with a question tempting Jesus in verse 36. He said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What's, what's our first love supposed to be? God. Not just God, but to love God with all. That is to be our first love. And God said about the church at Ephesus, I have somewhat against thee, Because you left that. Now here's the problem tonight. Oftentimes, we we look at and and there's we could basically say there's three directions of love. Number one, God, right? Okay, and obviously Jesus said, secondly, to love your neighbors yourself, but when you break that down in the scriptures, there's two types of neighbors, amen? There's the neighbor that's in the church. We are to love one another in the body of Christ. Amen? And then there's that love for everyone that is outside of the body of Christ. Our love for outside the body of Christ is our desire to give them the gospel so that they might get what? Saved. Really, that's the only thing that really demonstrates love to a lost person. I'm not against doing good things for lost people. I do them all the time. Um, I, I feed lots of people in Africa and India. We buy blankets. We take water. We've drilled wells. We've done all types of things to show our love to those lost people because we want them to come under the preach of the gospel and get saved. Amen? But if I buy them rice and blankets and don't tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ, have I shown any love to them? Absolutely not. They're going to die and go to hell. And so the important is the gospel, all right? And we need to have that type of love. And then there's our love for the body of Christ. And we are to love one another, as we've talked about. And, and we are to have that proper love that would um, forbear one with another. We would care for one another. We'd see a need. We'd help each other. We'd stand by someone when they're weak that they might not fall. And we could go on and on. There's all types of love that should take place inside of the true body of Christ. In our local church as well as other true believers. And then obviously there is our love for God. That's supreme. Now here's the problem. Which of those loves diminishes first? Now here's what happens. We see somebody who who has left their love for souls. Someone that no longer gives out a gospel track, no longer cares about people getting saved, And we say, oh my, we need to help them become a soul winner. So we have a soul winning conference. And people like me come in and they try to motivate people to evangelize the lost. I've done many of those. 
In fact, there was a day in my life when I used to tell people, if you'd go out among the lost people and you would see the brokenhearted and I could show you the pictures and I could show you starving people, burning people, dying people, hurting people, and your heart would get emotionally stirred and you would say, boy, I need to go out and evangelize the lost and people would go and evangelize the lost and I learned something that never lasted. Because their real problem was not their love for the lost. That was not their first love. And then sometimes you get into a family unit, husband and wife, or inside of a church, and there's strife and discord. One One of the things I hate to hear a pastor say when I talk to him is he said, oh, brother, they're fighting in my church. I'm like, well, don't, I'm not coming, man. I don't like to get in the middle of fights, all right? I'll come when you get it figured out, yeah. Boy, you get those people together and you say, man, you know, if you would just love each other, if you would just love each other, and and you try to show the sides and all this type of stuff and the reasoning and, you know, whether it's a husband and wife or whether it's a, you know, a father and a daughter, a father and a son, or whether it's, you know, two members of the church, they're about to kill each other, you know, and you're trying to sort out their problem and you're thinking, boy, if they would just love each other, life would be better. And somehow you work it out and you sort it out, but guess what happens? It doesn't last. Because that wasn't their problem. Do you know what the problem was? Their first love. And Satan is so clever. The church at Ephesus loved properly, they looked good. But see, God knows everything. And he knew where the church was headed. Because you know what you lose first? Your first love. You do not lose or leave behind your love for the lost first. If you're here tonight and you've stopped caring for lost people, your problem is your first love. If you're here tonight and you've, you, you've, you've left your love for the fellow believers in the church, you've left your love for someone in your family, you've left your love for other Christians, your problem is not that love. It is a symptom of the fact that you left your first love. Because, friends, you can go through the motions without love. You can be a mechanical church and going through the motions, going through the motions, going through the motions. That was the church at Ephesus. And God said, I have something against you. You left your first love. Now, once again, remember what I said earlier? When somebody falls, sometimes that's a really good thing because it reveals the problem. When things blow up, sometimes that's a good thing. If you deal with it properly. If you try to just deal with the symptom, you'll never cure the problem. But if you understand where the root lies, remember our prayer from chapter number three. Pray that people be rooted in what? The love of God. Do you know what the root problem is in every situation? 
I've left my first love. Something isn't right between me and God. No, you see, Brother Smith, wait a second. Everything between me and God is right. I just can't handle this guy. When you sit there, you become my volunteer. No. If your love for God was right, you could handle that guy. That's what the Bible says. Because love covereth a multitude of what? Isn't that amazing? And we chase symptoms instead of roots. Someday, someday God's going to report. Do you know how there's so much bitterness in churches today? It's not because of people. It's not because that person, that person. You know why there's so much bitterness today in churches? Because people left their first love. And until they get right with God and come back to him and love him with all, you're only putting patches on all the circumstances of life. That's what God says. Look at it. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. What's the first work? It's to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the first work. It's not go out and be busier for God. It's not go out and do more for your fellow mankind. It's not buying your wife more flowers, although that's a good thing, amen? It's called getting right with God. Repent. Lord, I failed because I didn't love you with all. Now let me help you tonight. You're going to do that all your life. All your life, Satan's going to try to get between you and God. And when all of a sudden life starts erupting, stop. Stop trying to solve life and come back to the first love. It's amazing what that changes. If you don't, look at what happens. Because he says, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. God says, if you don't repent, I'm done. And you'll just be a machine. A mechanized church. Going through the motions. Laboring in the flesh. And sooner or later, it'll go away. Because you're going to get weary. You're going to get tired. You're going to compromise. You're going to leave your love for the lost. You're going to leave your love for each other. And because you left your love for God, it's not even no longer going to look like his church. And it'll go away. And so Paul warned the church. In Acts, he said, beware. Beware, be careful. He wrote the book of Ephesians and he gave all these instructions about unity and walking with God. 
And he said, finally, my brethren, stand. But how are you going to stand? The armor of God. The armor of God. His righteousness. His truth. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your helmet of salvation. But all of those things are encompassed by what? First love. First love. And tonight I just want to plead with you as Mountain View Baptist Church. If you want your church to go on and on and on and on and on and on and withstand all the attacks of Satan, never leave that first love. As an individual, always search your heart and make certain there's nothing between you and him. Amen? And honestly, if there's nothing between you and God, then guess what? Great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. The love of Christ constrains us. It's God's love. If I keep this right, God keeps all these things right. Amen? But so tempted we are when there's a problem here to try to figure that out here. Did you know there are some things you can't change? There are some people you're never going to (laughs) change. But your love for God can change you so that you can forbear with them, amen? So that you can walk with them in peace and unity. And so, yes, you can speak the truth to them, but the Bible says you must speak the truth in what? What type of love is that? This love. My love for God motivates me to, to tell you this. How you respond doesn't change anything between me and you. I love God. So tonight, will we just take a few moments as we finish this few days of preaching, remind ourselves to pray one for another, remind ourselves to walk, to follow God, but remind ourselves tonight that you don't lose that love. You'd make a choice. Oh, yes, something may have cracked in there, but you can repent and get it right back. You don't have to walk away from it. Let's pray tonight. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray you would help us this evening. Lord, I'm thankful for this church, Lord, tonight. And I preach this message, Lord, I I believe from a heart that loves and wants to see it go forward. God, you're using it to impact people, lives right here in this town. And Lord, in many other places. And God, you want to do great and mighty works and great and mighty things. And Lord, Satan wants to get in and he wants to cause difficulties and disruptions. And God, he can totally be banned if we stay connected to you first and foremost. He has no place, no power, Father, when we are walking with you. And God, I pray tonight that you would stir hearts. Lord, I pray you'd help us to examine ourselves. Lord, to allow you to speak to us. And Lord, if there's any waning of that love, any lack of that love, Father, something in our heart that we harbor against you or that, God, we would repent. We'd come back to you tonight. And, God, that love would spill over into every aspect of our life and how we would live for you. Tonight, for just a moment before we finish the service, I would like to just take